Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you. It's good to be with you again. Uh, We have uh, got a tremendous barbecue plan for this evening, our Holy Smokes gathering over at the Valley Center campus, right here at the Valley Center campus. Uh, If you have never been to one before, best barbecue in the world, live music, best band you've heard all year, and it'll be a, a phenomenal gathering to which you can invite people that you've always wanted to invite to church, but who like may be a little uncertain about the whole church thing. But hey, free barbecue, live music, can't beat that. Uh, And that is a way that we as a church offer gifts to the community to say we are the family of faith and we're here to love the community. So so I hope you use that as a great opportunity to invite people into into God's family and into our church. Uh, Today we're going to continue in our series of studies uh, called... uh, Uh, called Who is Jesus? And we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at the story of somebody who was surprised by God when God showed up. And Luke's whole thrust into this in this story is to show us how surprising Jesus is. When Jesus first speaks to the crowds, uh, they are, the, the people of Nazareth are surprised that this kid who grew up among them is now making the dramatic claims about his identity that he's making. When he first calls Peter to follow him, Peter is surprised that he realizes God is standing uh, on the earth. Uh, Now we're going to see in a series of teachings that the Pharisees, the religious teachers, the people who knew the Bible best, were surprised when they came face to face with God. Luke was surprised by Jesus. He, He wants to show us that everybody else was surprised by Jesus. And at the end of the day, he wants you and I to be surprised by Jesus as well. So before we get into our study, let's, uh, let's take a minute and let's pray today. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you do awaken us from tired religion into real life. And so I pray that your spirit would move and touch hearts of those who have been burned by church or bored by church or turned off by church and have come to a place in their life where they long for what is now missing where they long for something that they once had that they can no longer find. God, may we we worship in the rubble of fallen churches today, knowing that you desire to rebuild a temple in our hearts. Jesus, we invite you in. Come into our lives, come into our hearts, and make us new. Set us free to real life and new life again. God, we want to say a word of thanks uh, for those Uh, who have served our country, uh, the veterans who have uh, put in uh, time and effort and and sacrifice uh, in order to make a space for their families and our families. Uh, And I ask that you'd bless them and protect them and watch over them. Uh, Give their families an extra measure of grace today. Uh, Thank you for for the way that you have gracefully shown through people uh, who would willingly uh, put their lives at risk for others. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for them, and we ask that you bless them today. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I want to start out with a little contrast that I want you to look at. 
there is uh, a church, or I guess I'd have to say part of a church, uh, called St. Paul's that's in Macau. And what's left of St. Paul's is just the front face of the church. Back in the 1600s, it was at one point the largest Christian church in Southeast Asia. It was a, a giant church. But because of a typhoon that started a fire in the 1800s, about 18, I think it was 1835, St. Paul's was, was ruined. And the only part that remained was the front face of it. And that front face has been preserved as sort of a, a historical monument. And so now you can go walk up the steps to the front face of St. Paul's, a beautiful church, stories high that you can see what was once there. But if you look behind the front wall, there's nothing. There's, there's no place to worship. There's no church. It's, it's not a box. It's, it's a single wall. And that's St. Paul's Cathedral in Macau. Now, contrast that with an experience of worship that God's people once had. It's in the Hebrew Scriptures. It comes at a moment where God's people have been set free from slavery in Babylon, and they have gone and returned to the place of their temple, their place of worship. And it has been leveled as well. Not even the front face is standing. The temple is rubble on the ground. And they stand outside in the elements among the fallen remains of their former temple. And they gather together and they worship because the time has come to rebuild their church. The time has come to reestablish their homeland in a place of worship where God will be honored. There's nothing there to look at. There's not even the front face of what used to be. But they have, they have returned to the place where they're going to worship. And the text says, it, as Ezra and Nehemiah lead the people back to restore their temple, the text says that the young man cheered with joy because they finally had a land that would be their own. And the old men wept tears because they remembered the days of their former temple and they knew it would be restored. And the sound of the cheering and the sound of the weeping were so loud that people heard it for miles around. Look at the contrast between those two images. Macau had a glorious past, beautiful legacy. What stands today is just pretend. It's, it's almost deceptive. It looks like a church, but you get close enough, you realize it's not. And it has absolutely no future as a house of worship. It's just going to be a little historical monument from here on out. In the case of Ezra, you had people with a broken past where everything had been torn apart. Everything had been torn to the ground. You had a, a present that was, it was also deceptive, but it was deceptive in a beautiful way because they knew what was coming. They were going to rebuild the temple. It was deceptive because it looked like just stones on the ground, but they knew what was coming. And they had a, a brilliant, hope-filled future in front of them. Where are you? Do you have sort of a glorious past of faith that now is just sort of a sham facade with not much hope of a future? Or do you have a history of brokenness, but now you stand in a place where you know God is building a temple in your heart and you have hope for a future with him? Where's the church today? Not just our church, but the church, capital C. Are, are we... 
are we real about who we are, or is this just a facade that we keep up, that one day will be worth nothing? Jesus wants to build in us a place of worship today. Jesus has in mind a future in which we live day to day in worship and celebration for who he is. Jesus wants to bring that about in our hearts starting today. So now we're going to get into our study of the gospel of Luke. We've been, we've been trekking along through Luke and realized that the primary theme here is, is surprise. Jesus shows up and Nazareth is surprised. Uh, Jesus shows up and Simon Peter is surprised. Today we'll see Jesus shows up and the religious leaders are surprised. The Pharisees, the people who have been the, the keepers of the keys in Jewish culture. Back when they were in slavery in Babylon, there was this group that set themselves apart from the Babylonian culture. They said, we're not going to blend in. We're going to keep our Jewish heritage. We're going to keep our Jewish faith. We're going to keep our Hebrew language. We're going to keep our rituals and traditions and customs and diets. And we will preserve our identity as a people. And by the time they have reestablished their, their homeland, these set-apart ones, which in Hebrew is perushim, the Pharisees, these, these Pharisees have become respected because they have a glorious past, a glorious legacy of keeping the identity of the people together. But today, they're a sham. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a facade of religiosity with no heart behind it. They do not love God and they do not love other people. They love laws. And their future is, is not going to is not going to go well, as you'll, as you'll see from the text today. Uh, what I want to do is <clears throat> I want to pick up right where we left off. We're in Luke, in Luke 5, and there's a string of about five stories all tied together by the fact that the Pharisees are complaining in every story. And I want to I look, kind of do an overview of these five stories and then read Jesus' teachings right in the middle of these stories. Because Jesus' teaching is what holds this block of narratives together. Remember I said when you're studying the Bible, you don't want to just read a verse here and a verse there. You want to read broader passages and read it in context. Because, because sometimes the, the authors tie together a string of stories or a string of narratives that all have a main theme that the author wants you to see. And if you're only reading a verse here and a verse there, you'll miss the author's main point. So, so here are five stories that Luke walks us through back to back. And you could read them all separately, but they're all tied together. The first one happens when a bunch of guys lower their paralyzed friend through a roof of a house where Jesus is teaching. They believe so much that Jesus has the power to heal them that they can't get through the crowd to get their friend in there. So they go up on top of the house, tear a hole in the roof, and lower their friend down to Jesus through the roof. I mean, you can imagine having your sermon interrupted by this going on and, and how much attention this drew. And Jesus was so impressed with their faith. Jesus was so pleased with their trust in him that he turns to this paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who knew God best saw this and said, hey, he can't do that. Nobody can forgive sins but God. Jesus doesn't have the right to do that. If you want your sins forgiven, you have to go to the temple. You have to offer the right sacrifices. You have to make known your sins. You have to go through the, the, the disciplines of, of paying them off. You can't just willy-nilly go around giving out forgiveness. 
Jesus forgives his sins and then says, if you think that's difficult, watch this. And then he heals the paralytic and the paralytic walks away. That's the first scene. And the, fir- the, the surprise of the first scene is not just the miracle, which is amazing. It's the religious leaders who have seen Jesus work miracles who are still saying, you can't do that. You can't go around forgiving people. In the next scene, Jesus is having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Remember, tax collectors were seen as traitors because they were Jewish people taking money away from Jewish people to give to the Romans that ruled over them. And so they were hated. And here Jesus is hanging out with a guy named Levi, who is also named Matthew, who wrote one of the Gospels, who's a tax collector. And Jesus chooses to spend time with the tax collectors and sinners. And he says, a doctor doesn't come to people who are well. A doctor comes to people who are sick. Real life exists to lead lost people to Jesus. If you think everything's fine, Jesus doesn't have a lot to offer you. But if you know your life's a mess, Jesus is looking for you. And the Pharisees see that and say, hey, he can't do that either. You can't go around forgiving people and you can't hang out with people who are bad influences. They'll, they'll pollute our kids. They'll ruin our culture. We'll be off in slavery in Babylon again if you keep this up. You can't do that. In the third scene, Jesus and his disciples are not fasting when everybody else is fasting. Fasting, remember, is abstaining from food. In this case, they'd abstain from food for a day. The Pharisees would do it two days a week. And they would fast as a sign of their contrition. They were limiting themselves in order to sacrifice for God. And they see Jesus and his disciples and says, hey, how come you guys aren't fasting? And Jesus has this this fascinating line, which if you don't stop and think about it, you miss how powerful this is. He says, why would the friends of the bridegroom fast when they're with him? Like, why would they they suffer when they're hanging out with the groom? And I kind of read that the first time and I think, I'm not sure what that's about. how How does this metaphor work? Think about this. When does a groom hang out with his buddies? It's not at the wedding. At the wedding, there's a big ceremony going on. It's not after the wedding. After the wedding, he and his wife are off doing married things. When does the groom hang out with his buddies? Understand, the Pharisees say to Jesus, how come you guys aren't fasting and suffering like we are? And Jesus says, because this is my bachelor party. And that is exactly what he means. God has come to the earth to claim his bride, the church. And the church has not yet been constituted. This is prior to the wedding. And this is Jesus hanging out with his boys. This is Jesus' bachelor party. I'm having a good time. They're having a good time with me. Why would we fast, Pharisees? And the Pharisees are like, oh, you definitely can't do that. And Pastor Jim, I'm not sure you're allowed to even say things like that. That's really not appropriate. That's what Jesus is saying. This isn't a time for fasting and self-denial. The party has just begun because I have arrived. We're about to have a wedding. I'm about to declare the church to be the bride of Christ forever after. And then finally, Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath, and he and his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees say, you can't do that either. Okay, so all these passages are tied together by the Pharisees saying no. The Pharisees see Jesus forgiving people, and they say, you can't do that. They, they see Jesus hanging out with sinners, and, he says, and they say, you can't do that. 
They see him having a, a good time with his friends instead of fasting and suffering. And they say, you can't do that. And they see, they see him using the Sabbath day to bless people in need. And they say, you can't do that. St. Paul's in Macau is a beautiful historical legacy with what is now only a facade in which there is no worship and no hope that it will ever be a place of worship. The Pharisees had a beautiful legacy of leading people out of slavery in Babylon and preserving their culture. And now they are nothing but a facade, a fake front of religiosity with no worship going on behind it and no hope for their future. The Pharisees love the no of the law more than the yes of grace. The Pharisees want to say no to a, a, a free expression of faith in which broken people can be forgiven instead of shamed. They say no when Jesus is saying yes to forgiveness. They say no to bad influences that might pollute your culture. You need to lock those people out. Put them, put them out of our nation on the other side of a wall. Keep them separate from us. And Jesus says yes to second chances. They want to say no to, to, to not practicing religious rituals that might be meaningless, but that are a good show for people at the point at which Jesus wants to say yes to enjoying the presence of God. The Pharisees enjoy the no of the law more than the yes of grace. And Luke wants us to see that when God shows up in the middle of that, God is a surprise. What's your experience of faith? Because I know a lot of people who say, I, there was a time where I was really into it, and I believed in it, and I celebrated it, and now I'm just sort of keeping up a front. I, I, don't, I don't have a, a heart behind it anymore. And sometimes they're sad about that. Sometimes there's a, a, a heavy religiosity to it where they, they are proud to be religious, though there's not much God in their religion. And either way, there's not much hope of a spirit of worship in their lives. God doesn't need facades. God needs people who will live real life with Jesus. I, I know so many people who say, I, you know, I, I grew up in one church tradition or another, and I, I'd be glad to go to a church that feels alive, but my, my parents say they'll be mad at me if I don't go to their brand of church, whether it's, you know, Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran or whatever it is. If I don't go to their brand of church, they're going to be upset. I've seen people say, if I go to a different kind of church, my grandmother will be upset. And I say, oh, yeah, no, I, I get it. Grandmas are important. And they say, yeah, yeah, she's, she's passed on, but she'd still be upset. So, so I can't. God doesn't care about the branding of our church. He cares about the place of our heart. And he would take a heart that would worship him among rubble over the most beautiful facades any day. Now, in the midst of all this, Jesus has a teaching. Listen to what Jesus says. This, is, this ties all these stories together. This is his, his narrative of, uh, of what the Pharisees are like. This is in Luke chapter 5, verse 36. He told them this parable. 
And he's actually going to tell two parables here. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment, a new shirt, to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. So nobody rips up a new shirt to patch an old one. The old one doesn't matter that much. If anything, you take a patch out of the old one to work on the new one. The, the new shirt is the one that counts. You don't go tear up a new shirt to go try to replace an old one. Here's the second parable. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new one will burst. Uh, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. So, so two parables here. Let's unpack these. Nobody wrecks a new shirt by uh, taking a hole out of it, uh, putting a hole in it, and patching an old shirt. The old shirt won't match it anyway. Right? It's the new one that matters. And nobody pours new wine into old wine bags because it'll just break the bags. The bags won't take it anyway. And people who have settled for old wine aren't going to switch to the new stuff anyway. What Jesus is saying is the message that God brings when he shows up on the earth is a surprise. It's new. And old bags can't handle it. And there are a lot of religious people walking the earth claiming to be followers of Jesus who are nothing but old wine bags. And, and you don't take something that's, that's new and powerful and moving and just patch it on an old one. You don't take a, a new vision for a living church and just try to, try to fit it into an old, old dying church to keep the old church going. You don't, you don't take a, a new teaching of a God who loves you and, and try to fit it in with a, an angry, judgmental God who, who just wants to shame you. The old one won't handle it anyway. Uh, and when you come to this last verse, verse 39, no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. I know that's a little confusing to the modern ear because in, in our modern world, we think, well, old wine, aged wine is supposed to be better than new wine, isn't it? In the, in the, in the ancient world, uh, wine was preserved by pouring sulfur into it. That made it last longer, but it, it had a little bit of a sulfur taste to it. So it actually ruined the flavor of the wine. But if people got used to it, if that's all they drank, then when you came along with new wine, they didn't want it because it didn't take, taste like the old stuff. Um, it's kind of like uh, uh, in, in the modern world of, of beer making, uh, it's very popular to drink IPAs, India Pale Ales, which is a very bitter beer. And beer's not supposed to be like that. Uh, that beer was made bitter when the British used, used to ship it to India uh, by, before there were airplanes by way of boat. And in order to get it all the way around Africa to India, they would dump tons of preservative in it, and that would make it bitter. But the people on the receiving end of it got used to drinking it that way, so eventually they just liked bitter beer, even though it wasn't supposed to be that way. And so when they got a taste of, of new, new beer, they would say, oh, the old is better. They had settled for something bad. Or I'll bring it closer to home for, for many of us. You have a kid in your family who grew up on Kraft macaroni and cheese? You know, cheese made from powder the way cheese is. Cheese, no part of which ever came from a cow cheese. And then you take a kid to like, you know, Cosmo's Italian Bistro. And they have like gourmet mac and cheese with French uh, raclette cheese and baked Parmesan across the top. And the kid will not eat it because it's not the old stuff. Jesus says that's how it is with people. People get a taste of an old religion that is stale and meaningless, but it is familiar, and they will settle for it. And when a new message comes along about a God who loves you and who is not waiting to punish you, 
and who does not want you to go through mere rituals that are just a facade, meaningless baptisms because you think it'll get you into heaven and just, just painful church attendance, even though it doesn't do anything for you because that's what you're supposed to do. When a new God shows up and says, no, no, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want you to live a life of worship, not just go through the motions. People who are settled in the old stuff will go, I don't get that. I like it the way it is. Jesus died on the cross to set you free, not just from sin and brokenness, but also from a stale, meaningless religiosity to live a new life in him. And Jesus wants nothing more for you today than to set you free to worship. There are so many dying churches and denominations out there that are, are old wine bags that just, just haven't ever adjusted to the fact that the world has changed. Since 1967, all the Protestant denominations in America have been declining every year. And it's true of the Catholics too, the Baptists, all of them across the board have been declining every year since 1967. And denominations are dying, still doing things the way it worked 50 years ago. And when you talk to them about the fact, hey, the world has changed, there are so many that just don't get it. The number of the churches that finally collapsed during the, the pandemic is going to be staggering. We haven't seen the numbers yet, but I, I can see it anecdotally in the neighborhoods, the number of churches that have closed because they were clinging to something that was already way past its expiration date. I remember talking to a woman who was a pastor at one point who said, if the denominations do not change, they're going to die. And she said, God wouldn't let that happen. God wouldn't let denominations die. Listen, 99% of the species of living beings that have ever existed have already gone extinct. 99% of species that have ever existed have already gone extinct. I'm pretty sure your denomination does not have better survival instincts than a Tyrannosaurus rex. When, when churches go out of date, they die. Denominations die. Churches die. And people's faith People's faith can die. If you have gotten stuck in something that maybe at one point was meaningful, and now it's just a facade, it might be time to try something different. Picture again God's people gathered outdoors amidst the rubble of their former temple, having returned from slavery 40 years later. And there's, there are rocks on the ground. That is it. There, there's no temple. There's, there's no building. There's no chairs. There's no carpet. There's nothing. They are standing in a field with rocks around them. And they sing. And the old generation weeps because they remember how beautiful it was and they know it will be reconstituted. And the young generation parties because they have this hope of building something that will be great. And the noise is so great that it's heard for miles around. If you have lived a, a faith life that has withered, and, and at some point it just stopped connecting, and then, and then your Bible got dusty, and then your, your prayer life became like a telephone ringing in an empty house, today is the day in which God wants to rebuild your faith. Today is the day in which Jesus invites you to turn back to him and say, I want my life to count for you and with you. 
I want to live a life of worship. I want you to rebuild in my heart a temple in which you live and in which I, I every day practice a life of worship. Jesus, I need you to come back and help me rebuild. He wants that for you more than anything else. And no matter how far you've wandered from him, no matter how long it's been, it is never too late to stand in the rubble of what once was and say, Jesus, rebuild a temple in me. If you want that, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And we're going to invite Jesus to come back in and start rebuilding things that we remember from long ago. If you've come to a place where you realize somewhere along the way you settled for religion or you just walked away from faith altogether, we're going to invite Jesus back in to rebuild what once was before. And there's nothing Jesus loves more than turning points like that. I remember uh, many years ago when I was working as a youth pastor at a church, working with the teenagers, and we went on a, a mission trip down to Mexico and we're building houses. And on the last night of the trip, we would always have a campfire outside and we'd stand around the campfire and we'd tell stories about what the week meant to us. And uh, it was pretty meaningful. People would have some pretty tearful stories of how their hearts changed that week. There was this one kid uh, on the trip uh, who's named Steve. And Steve was kind of a goofball. He was well-intentioned, but he just couldn't see a bad idea that he wouldn't go chasing after. So he was always in trouble of one kind or another. And we were at this campfire, and people were sharing stories. And then, then Steve went up. He stood by the fire, and everybody kind of suspected he was going to make some sarcastic joke. And Steve took off his shoes. And he held his shoes up in front of everybody. And he said, I've walked down a lot of paths in these shoes that I shouldn't have walked down. And I don't want to walk down those paths anymore. And then he took his shoes and he threw them in the fire. And he walked back to his tent in bare feet. Stand in front of Jesus right now, exactly as you are. Picture whatever it is that symbolizes the brokenness and wandering of your life. Picture some object that just sort of captures a sense for the place that you've gone wrong. The place that faith stopped mattering. Now, in your mind, take that object and toss it in the fire. Jesus, we invite you in. We may have nothing but rubble around us. There may not be much faith to talk about. But we invite you in to build a house of worship in us. Holy Spirit, come in and fill us. Fill our days with worship.
with faithfulness, with a, a knowledge of and a love of Jesus. Give us a, a passion for the gospel, for making Jesus' name known, for loving people who are lost. Jesus, we release the facades that we've been trying to keep up of having things together or knowing what we're talking about. We don't want to pretend anymore. We just want to live real life with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you love us. Thank you that no matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, uh, you are the God who comes in to have dinner with sinners. Thank you that you love us and leave the door open for us. Thank you that you restore people who have run away a long time ago and are now coming back desperate with nowhere else to turn, with nothing but hope that you're the God of good promises. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us new life. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.